This morning's sermon, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 57. This is a huge chapter, isn't it? (laughs) An 80-verse chapter. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we're grateful and we're thankful that we have your word. We ask that you would speak to us from it, through it, that we'd be changed by it. Father, help us in every way. Be merciful to us. Minister to us. Teach us. Correct us. Instruct us and rebuke us. For we need you desperately to minister to us. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Have you ever found in your life that you truly would wish that God would somehow just speak to you? Has that ever been a desire of yours, that God would just speak? Like something audible? (laughs) Yeah, it would, you know, especially, I I think it would make things so much easier at times, wouldn't it? (laughs) Depending on what he says. Yeah, maybe easier is the wrong word. It could make things pretty painful. But sometimes, especially I find in my own life, you know, we go, when I go through struggles and trials or you're in, you're in a situation where you just don't know, you're actually, you feel utterly and completely lost. You don't know where to go le- left or right or stay straight or anything. You're just, you're confused. Boy, it'd be nice. It'd be nice at that point to just, God from heaven says, Dean, go left. Oh. Golden. <laughs> But here's the thing, in life it doesn't work like that. And so um, we know that as much as we perhaps would want that to happen, that while we're here on this earth, God's presence with us and his voice to us is often, he's unseen and he's unheard. You don't visibly see him, actually see him, and you don't audibly hear him. And so we're left without his that audible voice, and we're left without that physical presence. We actually don't see him or hear him. And, and so often I find in my own life, there's times when I long for that voice. I long for his presence. I can't wait to that day, that day when you can stand before the God of heaven and earth and see him and hear him. But while we're here, we, we have to know and understand how is it that we know God? How is it that we see him? How is it that we hear him? Because while we're here, we live and walk by faith on the words that he's given to us. And so it's important for us to know and understand God's presence in our lives and his voice in our lives. Because God's presence is here and his voice is here. It just takes understanding it and knowing it in order to, to experience it. So and what I'm saying is that, of course, he's not here physically. Of course, he's not here audibly. His voice isn't. However, he is here. His presence is here by the Spirit. And his voice is here by the Word. So we do have his voice and his presence in a very special way. And in this particular passage, we're going to see how God's presence and his voice are to be understood by us today in this world in the world in which we live. 
So hopefully this morning we come away with a better understanding of what we can expect from God. What should we expect from God? And how can we discern his presence and his voice today? To begin with, let's look at the acts of God, where God's presence is known. He shows up and he acts. And as we look at here, it begins in the birth, the circumcision, and the naming of John. In this section, I want us to see how God acts in both the ordinary and the extraordinary, the two different places. Let's first begin with the ordinary. In verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. That's an ordinary event, isn't it? Giving birth. It happens. You know, life is filled with the giving of birth and, and death and everything in between, and that's what life is filled with. And she bore a son. Nothing unusual there. Pretty ordinary. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And they did. They rejoiced, and they, they heard that the Lord had been merciful to her because she was barren as we know. And God gave her a son, and so they rejoiced with her. Because especially in that culture, it was you were seen as cursed by God if you didn't have children. So they rejoiced that God was merciful to her. He'd shown great mercy. And then in 59, sorry, and on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. Nothing too crazy about that. That's what they did. On the eighth day, they circumcised kids. Everything's pretty ordinary. And they would have called his name Zechariah after his father. That's the tradition. You give him a family name. So either after Zechariah or Zechariah's family, you give him a name that belongs to the family. But no, they don't do that. This is the first thing where things get a little unordinary. The naming of a child is very ordinary. But how they name him is very unordinary. And that's kind of the second part. But first of all, I want us to understand here that having babies after nine months... After, you know, now the time came. We know from the time given in the text, it's at nine months. Having a baby, circumcising on the eighth day, and naming him are all pretty ordinary events. That's just what happens in life. And yet, in the midst of all this, what do we know? That God is at work in all of it. It's God working. God working. God is there in the midst of it. He caused the birth to happen. He gave them the name. And the circumcision that they placed upon him was his ordained means, God's ordained means, of making his covenant promise to his people. This is the promise in flesh that one day from Abraham and all his children would come the promised seed through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And the mark of the sign of that covenantal promise was circumcision given by God. So we know as a people, don't we, having babies, naming them, baptizing them, that's pretty standard fare, pretty ordinary. Yet God is in the midst of it all. Even in, the, or, even in our ordinary lives, God is at work. However, it's hard at times. It's hard for us to believe this because we're different than John. We can read this particular text and I can say God is at work here. We say, yeah, God is at work here because this is, there's miracles all over the place here. But this is, these are, in some ways, are very ordinary things happening. But God is in the midst of his, this happening, and he's also in the midst of the happenings of our lives, the details of our lives. It's easy for us to think in two categories, the important and the unimportant. Now, of course, John, we put him in the category of important. Us, we put us in the category of unimportant. We're everyday Joes, right? It's just like, who are we? I can see and understand God being in the midst of that and working there, but I, can I, 
I have trouble sometimes seeing that God's in the midst of the details of my life. And why do we? Well, because we're people, and we think like people, and we, we treat things differently, don't we? There's the important, and then there's the unimportant. For example, in your own house, most of you probably have a junk drawer, don't you? And for me, the junk drawer is on, you know, I know exactly where it's at. It's that one drawer used to be below the microwave, and it's an unimportant drawer. You just stuff there, you just throw some junk there. It kind of piles up, and every once, maybe once or two years, you go through it and throw stuff out. But it's just got all kinds of odds and ends that you don't know what to do with. The junk drawer. Everybody's got to have a junk drawer. Now, when, when I look at my life, and I've got something significant and important going on, I don't ever think of the junk drawer. It's not on my radar screen. That is a a very unimportant drawer. And so in my life, when things get important and there's a big thing happening, like even in, in your life, if, there's a, uh, if you're about to have a baby or a birth, I mean, that's a big event, you're not thinking about the junk drawer. Why? It's not important at this point, right? And often what we do is we think God is like that because we think of him this way. If you think of God who's up in heaven right now in a far-off place and he is on his throne, If we think of him like that, all of a sudden what we do is we feel like our lives are unimportant, and I can see and understand him being involved in important people's lives at important times. But for unimportant people's lives and unimportant times, I really don't see him being that involved. I get John, I don't get me. Here's the problem. Thinking like that is misunderstanding God and making him like a man. We are flesh. We're made of flesh. We're bound by our flesh. We're bound by our own particular demographic. Here I am. I can be no other place. Where with God, God by the Spirit is everywhere, all time present. He's everywhere. So he's as much here as he is in heaven. By the Spirit, there's nowhere he's not. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, it says this about God. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What's he saying? There's nowhere I could possibly go anywhere in his created universe that I could be away from his spirit. God is different than us. He, by his spirit, can be in you dwelling as he is, so he's as present there as he is in heaven. Now, we have to understand that Jesus, in his fleshly body, resides in heaven, throne on the throne, right? That's what we understand. But this is why we could say Jesus dwells in you. How does he dwell in you? He dwells in you by the Spirit. It's very important that we understand and think that God is not bound. We have to understand that he can, you, can be, you are important. You're not a junk drawer. And your life is not a junk drawer. You are important to him, and you can be. Because Have you ever thought about this? There's 7 billion people or whatever in the world. Man, imagine if we all prayed at the same time. I can answer that. <laughs> Talk about confusing. Talk about, okay, let's, let's make a priority list. But with God, who can be everywhere present at the same time by the Spirit, you are important. 
And your prayers are important. Your life is important. And the small little things that happen in your life are ordained by God. He's with you in the midst of it. Are you tempted to think about God as distant, far away, on his throne, and too busy for you? Are you tempted to, when you think of God, that, man, I couldn't imagine his schedule. I couldn't imagine how how he's managing all this. I know it's a temptation. Because when we do think of God, we think of him in a certain way. And we're tempted to think of him either, you know, sometimes as off, far away on his throne or... Maybe we do think of him as near and dwelling within us. But we have to understand, if we are to walk through life and know God's presence, know that God is present with you. In the small and significant parts of life, he's with you. He's with you through the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's with you all the time. And we ask, how is that possible? God, by the Spirit, dwells fully in you. If you're in Christ, the Spirit dwells in you. And this is something that we have to meditate on and think about and, not, and perhaps not always think that God is in heaven and we hear that. We know that. We understand that. But God is also with us by the Spirit. That's an important... I know that even in my own mind, I often think about God and I think about Him. And if I think if He gets too distant from me, if He gets too far off in heaven, if He gets too much on His throne, and, and if I envision Him that way and that's where I stay in my thinking, I can feel an, a distance a sense of, boy, would it ever be nice if God would just draw near to me, if I could get closer to him. And often that's just that's a matter of perspective, a matter of thinking. And we really need to understand that God is with us. He's near us. You know, I also want us to see that even in the midst of the extraordinary, the extraordinary happened, this is, better to understand that God's presence is with us in the ordinary, mundane details of life. He's always with you. You are in Christ. The Spirit dwells in you. He is with you. And then let's look at, if we look at the extraordinary things happening in this particular text, some extraordinary things, while Elizabeth getting pregnant, that's pretty extraordinary. How John is named, they obviously all thought it was fairly extraordinary. His mother answers in verse 60, Elizabeth says, no, He's not going to be named Zechariah or after him. He's going to be named John. John. And they all wondered, John? Why John? And they said to her, look at verse 61, none of your relatives is called by his name, this name. It's just not part of the family. What you're doing is what no one does. Nobody does this. Are you weird? Are you like not only weird, are you, you guys are going against all of Israel? I mean, what the tradition, that, like, to understand that this is how you name your children. And, they, and then um, they said to her, I'm sorry, and they made signs to his father. Now they, they she said, no, he's going to be named John. Now they turn to, to Zechariah, he's deaf, and they make, start signing to him because they know that he, he can't speak, right? So they're making all kinds of signs to him. But what, what should he, he be called? And actually... Many have said they thought that this also proves that he not only was he mute, but he was deaf. He wasn't able to hear because they're making signs to him, right? It's a good argument, and it's probably a good chance that he was because he'd probably let them know, no, I can hear you. I just can't talk to you. But anyway, so he takes a writing tablet, verse 63, and he wrote, his name is John. And then they all wondered, okay, she said it. Now you're saying it. What is going on here? (laughs) 
And then something else happens. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Immediately, as soon as he does this, the man can speak. And now all the people in response, the fear, fear comes upon all the neighbors. That word fear, it's better, it would better be translated awe. Like awe and wonder. They're just amazed. Wow. What have we just seen? And they realize that the connection, the naming of this child, the birth of this child, and the, and the miracle of, John, of Zechariah being able to speak at his naming, all of a sudden these people are like going, this is something else. And they ask the question in verse 68, what then will this child be? <laughs> Who is this child? Because this is amazing. These are just not ordinary events. Now, in these, these, fa- these events were very significant because, again, what they caused the people, how they caused them to respond. Yet in all these acts, God himself never showed up, did he? He never appeared. They didn't see him. But the, the events themselves happened, and they saw it with their own eyes. And it caused them to wonder, what is this? What's going on? This is amazing. This must be a special child. But it's so like God, isn't it? Isn't this so like God? He shows up in a disguise. No one sees him. performs his miracles. And he rides off into the sunset, as it were. It's all happening, but he isn't there. He doesn't show up. You know, often it's easy in situations where God himself visibly doesn't show up. Things are happening. We could either do one of two things. Or say it's, uh, that's really easy to see that God and trust in God and believe in God and really know his presence when the miraculous happens. But even, you know, if it did happen, there's also an opportunity for us to explain it away. Because if you don't see him actually performing the act, that act then is left to interpretation. What happened? Well, we could make all kinds of excuses for it. In the world we live in today, what do we, t- what do we say? We'll make some scientific explanation. We'll just make some explanation up, and then we, we, we tempted to believe that. Because in doing so, you extract God, and you remove him from the picture. So no matter what happens, no matter what kind of miracles happen in life, when miracles do happen and God does show up in big ways, we're still tempted even then to, to put some other name on it, to give the, the credit to someone else, to something else. Just the way things happen. Or that was a weird one, wasn't it? That was odd. Miracles happen today. God does amazing things. And yet, how often have you... Have you ever heard that? Have you heard how people so often will take and make some scientific explanation for it and almost dismiss it? As as if it's really no big deal. Well, heck, the person... They had cancer, now they don't. Why are you saying, well, we'll just write this one off as not really understandable. Maybe we made a mistake. Well, yeah, you made a huge mistake. Because God worked his miracle. God did wonders. It's easy to explain away. You know, this week, the last week, sorry, it was, I... uh, during the whole Olympics time, they didn't. I watched this interview, and I don't know. Maybe you guys have seen this with Scott Hamilton. He's the the male figure skater back in the '80s, early '90s, who was dominant and winning all the the medals, and he was the guy. And now he's the commentator for the figure skating and that. And lo and behold, I didn't know this, but he's a Christian. And I watched his story, and I was shocked by it. 
And he talks about all the things that he went through. And one of the things that happened to him is he had testicular cancer. And then he, he came back from that. And then he w- got married. And he, was, he didn't think he was able to have kids. And he says, I prayed to God, but God, just please give me a child. And he said, that month, his wife got pregnant. And then four years later, the same thing happened. He prayed that, please, God, grant, would you grant us another child? And that month that he prayed, she got pregnant. Now, we can explain that away, can't we? Oh, it's just a coincidence. Yeah, it happened. That's what happens. It just worked those two times. Yeah. Well, yeah, it worked. (laughs) Of course. But God worked a miracle. But we... These things happen in our lives, and they happen around us, and we have to take account of them. We have to observe them and understand that God is in our midst moving and acting and doing things. And probably the biggest thing that's, that puts us off or causes us to wonder or causes us to doubt is it doesn't always happen, does it? That story, as great as it was, we can line up about six or ten others where the person prayed and it didn't happen. And that's what causes people to see we're not seeing a one-for-one here. If every time somebody prayed, then we, could do, then we could make a scientific calculation and say, yes, we can attribute this to God. But I've seen lots of people pray, and they didn't have kids, and they didn't pray, and then God gave them kids. Or I've seen lots of people praying for somebody who had cancer, and no one healed them, and they died, and so where was God then? And that's what causes people to wonder. It says, yes, it happens, and then it doesn't happen, so what am I to believe about it? It's the inconsistency sometimes that causes us, our faith, to waver. If you've been walking with God for any amount of time, you will soon realize that sometimes He does do miraculous things, and they truly are miraculous. But you will also know But other times, he doesn't. And if you've walked with him, you've seen both. And you could testify to both. It's hard. And this is what's really hard. It's hard when we know that he can stop the pain, right? We know that he can. We know that he has the ability. And yet he doesn't. Why, God? You ever wonder that? Or have you ever been there? Okay, the guy, he, he's so powerful, he can stop this pain, he can stop this drama, this craziness, and I've prayed about it, and yet he doesn't. Is God there? Is his presence there? What's, what's wrong with him? You know, do you, you realize this, I know you do, that you know, Christian mothers who are giving birth have as much pain as non-Christian mothers. And I'm sure in the midst of that, they're wondering, where is God now? The flu still cripples us. I just felt its effects the other day. And there you are, writhing in pain, saying, God, have mercy. <laughs> but he, didn't, he didn't come and heal me. He didn't show up and miraculously take it away. People still get tortured today. Loved ones suffer, and then you watch them die. And even though we pray, no answer. So where is God? Where is God? It's in moments like those that you can wonder or you can wrestle and struggle with, God, where are you? 
But yet by promise, we know one thing's true. We know that he said, right? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So at the very least, in the midst of it, God is with us. We know that. By his promise, he's with us. And as I just finished pointing out, in the details of life, God by his spirit dwells in us. He sustains us. He upholds us. He is with us. But you know what? The most important thing we can do in times like difficult times, we're expecting a miracle, we're expecting God to show up in big ways, is know this, that in the midst of that pain, we have to live by faith in the promise. This particular promise, and here's a promise that we've got to hold on to and know that the pain is working for us gain. This is what I mean by that. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. So for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He says, what are these momentary afflictions, this pain? In the midst of your pain, and you're sitting there writhing in pain, God have mercy on me. What is the promise that you need to hold on to? It's this, that this is working for you an eternal weight of glory which cannot be compared to. God, it's not even in vain. Do you realize that your pain... And when you pray for a miracle for God to show up in that extraordinary way, and sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. The times he does, glory be to his name, right? That is great. But the times that he doesn't, what are you to do there? You need to hold fast to the promise to know that that pain, that struggle is not in vain. You know, like they all like to say, right? No pain, no gain. It's true. <laughs> there is great gain. God, that's not in vain. God is with you in the midst of it. And the more pain you experience, the greater the gain and reward in the end. It's working for you. Just think of a log sheet. You think of your pain and you got a pain meter and it's been up towards nine or 10. If you look at your life and as it goes up there, just think every time that's working for you, a greater reward, you hit 10, it goes to a hundred and your stock, your bank account is just increasing. It's with that mindset, I think that even Paul was able to give his back to the whip three times. Imagine that guy's back. There probably some scar tissue like this. I mean, it would be so grotesque to see him without a shirt. Stoned, shipwrecked. If there was ever a guy, read that thing. Oh, man, that guy must have just like, God, where are you? If you want to think that you're abandoned by God, that God, you know, where is his presence? Where are you now, God? Well, when God shows up in extraordinary ways, it's easier to see his presence. It's easier to believe that he's there. In the ordinary, the mundane, that's not quite as easy. But in the ordinary, the mundane, or the extraordinary, or just the awful, ugly, and painful, here's the deal. God is with you in it. And here's something else. He even suffers with you. Jesus bore, bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Spirit just doesn't reside in you and not even experience your pain. He goes through that pain with you. And it's going to work for you in a measurable reward. I tell you, if you're in the midst of pain, please remember the promise. 
my God will never leave me nor forsake me. He's with you. And not only is he with you, but he is going to work this and use this for more gain and more benefit for eternity than you could ever imagine. So much so that when you're, you're on the other side looking back, you're going to wish that you had more. If that's our perspective and we understand life that way, we know that God's presence is with us. We're able to, by faith, embrace it instead of start to say, God, where are you? I thought you were a big, powerful God who saves and delivers, yet I'm writhing in pain. Or this person is writhing in pain. God, where are you? God's presence is with you in the ordinary, in the mundane, all the time. And even if, you know, he does show up in a big way, miraculous way, obviously that's easy to see. God is with you. But even when you're going through the deepest, darkest valley, he's with you. It's those dark times that you're going to see in the end are the best times for several reasons, but especially for reward. So as Christians, we have to understand, understand that the presence of God is with you. He is with you in a very powerful, deep, and rich way. And don't doubt it just because of your circumstances or because the miraculous isn't happening enough. Hold fast and hold fast to the faith and the promise that he's promised you. So we need to remember that God is with us. But not only that, let's look at how God speaks to us. Because God's presence is with us, and he also speaks to us. Look at the words given to Zechariah. In verse 67, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways." to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. God spoke right there. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? It says, and he spoke. And these are the words of God. You know, in the Bible, very few times does God himself audibly speak, right? On the mount with Moses, you see him in the burning bush, on the mountain with Jesus and the, and the three disciples. You, you got some smatterings, very few occasions where God does audibly speak. When God does speak, how does he do it? Most of the time, it's through his prophets, right? That's how he speaks to his people. And here it happens through Zechariah. Zechariah, it says, is filled with the Spirit, and then he prophesies. This filling also happened to Elizabeth just er- earlier and we looked at. And what does she start saying? She starts prophesying as well and declaring the, the words of God. 
And what this means is Zechariah and Elizabeth were filled. It doesn't mean that they were so, they were just all of a sudden like turned into some other creature and then all of a sudden out of their mouths comes things they don't even understand. But that they, they were so overcome by the Spirit. The Spirit is so richly dwelling in them that, the, that he's, and he's speaking through them. The things they said, they would never have come up with on their own. Have you ever had those moments, those times where you've been sharing the gospel with somebody? And all of a sudden, the analogies, the examples, the scripture references, and how you're saying what you're saying are just, they're good. <laughs> Not only are they good, you, you would never have come up with them. You don't even know where they came from. And it was, it's just so clear, and you're thinking to yourself, that you're talking and almost watching yourself thinking, Wow, that's pretty amazing. Where's that coming from? That's the Spirit. The Spirit is taking over and speaking through you. And it it is an amazing experience when there's the fullness of the Spirit and you're speaking like that, and God is speaking through you to this person. And at that particular time, this is what's happening. This is their experience. Of the fullness of the Spirit, this word starts to come. And words, and, and here's what's interesting. You know what's we have to notice here that when God speaks, the Spirit speaks, do you know the one theme he likes to speak about? Jesus. It's Jesus. That is the Spirit's passion, the exaltation of Jesus. If this particular, even look at what he even is said here. What is it talking about? Verses 68 through 70 is about the thanksgiving for the coming Messiah. Verses 71 through 75, the deliverance that this Messiah will bring. This is what he's going to do. He's going to deliver us from our enemies. And he goes on and on to list what else he's going to bring. In verses 76 through 77, it talks about the place of John as the forerunner to Jesus. And then in verses 78 through 79, it's this glorious picture of this messianic salvation. The Spirit loves to declare the good things about Jesus. John 16, verses 13 through 14 states that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen to this. He will glorify me, for he will take what is, de- what is mine and declare it to you. That's the Spirit's passion. Charles Spurgeon once said this, That which does not glorify Jesus is not of the Holy Spirit. Because that is the Spirit's mission, to glorify Jesus, to make him known. That's his passion. Often you'll hear people speak about God talking to them, or God speaking to them. And it almost always has to do with directional issues. You'll hear, hear that God spoke, you know, the voice of God, God spoke to me, and it, and it has to do with issues about, you know, where one should move, or, or what job to take, or who to marry, etc. Yet when you look at the prophets, and you look at those who spoke in tongues even in Scripture, Do you know what the primary theme is? It's all about Jesus. 
<laughs> it's, it, or the gospel of Jesus, in some way it's related to the story and the trajectory of what God is going to do through his son. And the whole point of it is to glorify Jesus. And that's the Spirit's passion and work. You know, often we want, this, we want God's voice, we want God's word to speak directly to us and clearly to us in directional issues, right? Where we should move, what, what job we should take, who we should marry, things that cause us unknown trouble and consternation. It's like, God, if you could speak now, that's why I should I go left or go right. I want his voice. <laughs> And then you hear people talk about how God spoke to them, and usually what they're referring to is an impression they have in their spirit. They've got a strong inclination, and they talk about that being the voice of the Lord. And to, you know, to their credit, usually people say, and let me clarify, I didn't hear an audible voice. But typically, when God, when the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit comes, and even in people who, even today, like I said, when that experience happened, when you're sharing the gospel with someone, and all of a sudden there's a little bit of a takeover, at those moments, that's what the Spirit's all about. The Spirit is about glorifying Jesus. That's what He does. That's what He loves to do. So when we're looking for for God's voice and for, for direction to us, we can see from Scripture, even here in this text, this is the example of what, we're, what we often get throughout Scripture almost all the time is the, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what, he's, that's what he does. So the question is for us is like, okay, now how do I hear God's voice in these other directional issues? Well, that, that's a whole sermon series in and of itself. But here's one thing we have to understand. We should not ex- ever expect to hear God's voice in directional issues, unless it comes from his word. His, his word guides and directs us, so that it requires wisdom and understanding. It requires counsel. It requires all kinds of, sometimes, input from others. And do you realize that wrestling, that praying, that, that is some of the best stuff we could ever do. That, that consternation we, that we feel inside, the trouble, the difficulty, that is a rich blessing. And God uses that to form us and to make us into faithful, faithful men and women who follow him. Here's the thing that I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God doesn't guide or direct. He, this is also what God is with us, right in the midst of it, and he guides and directs by opening doors, by closing doors, by sometimes, you know, giving opportunity, a phone call comes, a letter comes, things happen in our lives, and by the things that happen in our lives and the wisdom that we get from others as we find ourselves in the pressure cooker of trying to make a decision, it's a good place to be. If you're not wrestling through big decisions, and if you're not weighing it heavily, and if you're not seeking counsel, and if you're not diving into God's word, and if you're not deep into prayer, but you somehow just follow the first impression that you get, you're not listening to the voice of God. Because here's two categories. His voice about his son is clearly declared to us. He's grabbing us all the wisdom that we need, all the insight that we need right here. Now, we have all that we need about life and godliness principally in the scriptures. Specifically in areas of decision, we are going to find ourselves struggling and wrestling with God like Jacob. We're going to find ourselves in need of counsel and wisdom from others. We're going to find, our see, we're going to find ourselves 
begging God and him opening and closing doors and creating opportunities and, and closing down others, we're going to find that so often in making decisions and, and trying to hear the voice of God and what it is he's, he's, he would have us do, that particular aspect is difficult. I haven't met a Christian who's a faithful Christian who doesn't find that particular aspect of life very difficult. They struggle through it. So don't think that you're weird or strange or that God isn't with you. He's with you in the midst of that. It's that struggle which forms character in you and develops you. And you become more and more godly as you gain wisdom and understanding. And others, and, and people get around you and, and they help you and, and guide you and direct you. The worst thing that could ever happen is for us to isolate ourselves, be all by ourselves, and follow Follow, like, think that we're going to get, we wait for the voice of God from heaven. If we go up on a mountain and we wait for a voice of God from heaven, I don't see any precedent for that at all in Scripture. What we need to do is understand the voice of God is speaking. God is guiding. God is directing. God has declared. And when it comes to directional issues, get in the midst of the wrestling Wrestle with God. Cry out to God. Ask that he would grant wisdom and discernment. He's with you. He will guide you. He will direct you. He will strengthen you. He'll open doors. He will close doors. And get as many people around you as you can who are wise to give you counsel. And in the midst of that, you are going to make a great decision. And you will be heeding the voice of God. The easy way. Of just, yeah, of course, I want a voice from heaven. Don't you? My flesh hates to struggle. I hate to wrestle. I, I can't stand it, living in uncertainty. That is awful. It's horrible. Let me put all, I, you know, there's a lot of bad words. You can call that stuff. I don't like it either. But that's the place that for, you're formed, you're forged, you're made. You learn to gain wisdom. You learn patience. You learn to wait on the Lord. And you know that His timing is not my timing. And I don't like that either. He likes the 11th hour. I like the first hour. Doesn't He always like the Why does He always like the 11th hour? Maybe 11.59 is what He likes. <laughs> I could just tell you story after story where it's like, oh, no, we're dead. We're dead. I have no idea. God, I've prayed. I've sought counsel. We're dead. 11.59. Hello? <laughs> there it is. Oh, that was great. But why, did, why so late? You know, it's like, why so late? Because that, God was forming me. You know, I'm, I'm better now. I can, I can honestly say that at 11 o'clock, I'm still saying, I can, I can with confidence say, I don't know, I don't know how but I, God's going to show up. He's going to provide. He's going to help. His, he, he's going to speak. He's going to make it clear. And sure enough, he does. Be confident in that. That know that God is with you and God will speak to you. He'll make it plain and clear. But don't ever think that he's on your time frame. And know that it probably is 1159 and you will get the answer. 
Probably not a second before or a second after, but it will be right when you need it. So I know we long for, right? We all long for, boy, I wish God could speak. Boy, I wish God, I wish I could have his presence. I wish I could see him. But that's really, it's because of my lack of faith and my difficulty with life, and I don't like to struggle. I like it easy. I like it plain and simple. I like it straight up the middle. But he likes it messy. God is with us in the mundane details and all of life, every particular detail of your life. He is with you in the midst of it, no matter what you're going through. Even the pain and the struggle. What is the promise? In the pain and the struggle, what's the promise? In the darkest days of your life, that he's going to work for in that and through that an immeasurable weight of goodness and glory for you in the life to come. Hold on to the promise. And then when he does show up big time, praise him, praise him. Because he does that. And not only that, God speaks to you. He has spoken to you in his word, and he will speak to you and guide you and direct you in the details of life. Just hold on and wrestle with him. Draw near to him. Look to him. Ask for him to guide you. Look for counsel, and he will. He will speak clearly. So be comforted. The Lord is with you, and his voice is clear to you. Walk with him. Amen.